Welcome back, everybody, to the Building Lifelong Athletes podcast, and I'm your host, Jordan Renneke. And today, we're going to be talking about blood sugars and why they matter so much. This may seem like a little boring of a topic, but I promise you that it's critically important to your health and well-being. So just stick with me today as we learn about this important topic. So are you confused about the term blood sugar or aren't quite sure what they mean when people talk about their sugars? Well, fear not any longer, because today we're going to go dive into all of that stuff. When people are classically talking about what their blood sugars are and what they're referring to as the amount of glucose or a specific type of sugar that is in their bloodstream. You 100% need glucose in your body to function like a normal human being, so it is critically important that your body can control and maintain a steady source of glucose so it can run its many necessary processes. We can measure how much sugar is in the bloodstream through a bunch of different ways that we're going to talk about here, but most of them are looking at how much glucose is in the bloodstream at a specific point in time. And although I mentioned how critical glucose is, you can start to have too much sugar in your bloodstream, and that's what we call diabetes. And speaking of diabetes, let's dive a little deeper into diabetes itself and define what it actually is. First of all, there are two different types, type 1 and type 2. Both of these different types have some type of dysfunction with insulin or a molecule that is critical in getting glucose into the cells, and with that dysfunction, you'll start to see blood sugar values that will be outside the normal range that you'd expect to see. Type 1 diabetes is classically thought of as either a genetic or autoimmune disease, whereas type 2 diabetes is typically a disease that is affected by different lifestyle factors. So what that means is that those people with type 1 diabetes had absolutely zero say in developing disease, and regardless of the lifestyle choices they made, they were going to get it one way or another. On top of that, once they have it, there is no reversing it. Once you have type 1 diabetes, you will need something like insulin for the rest of your life. It's something you're going to have to deal with day in and day out. This can be incredibly challenging to deal with, but it also has serious health consequences if it's not like dealt with properly. And if it's not treated with insulin, it can lead to some big, big issues. So one main differentiator between type 1 and type 2 is that all type 1 patients need insulin to survive, period. It's unfortunately as simple as that. Exercise, diet, and other lifestyle changes can still have a large impact on the course of the disease, but it won't reverse or put them in remission. On the other hand, type 2 diabetes is typically avoidable and is thought of as a lifestyle disease, meaning that certain factors in someone's lifestyle like their diet, exercise, and sleep all may be playing a role in developing the disease. Type 2 is a problem with how your body responds to insulin. You typically can still make insulin, but with type 2 diabetes, your body gets into something called insulin resistance, which means that your body isn't as responsive to insulin as it used to be. This leads to less sugar getting into the cells with each insulin molecule, so the body's response is to make even more insulin, and then this starts a vicious cycle of making more insulin in response to poor response to insulin and just a vicious cycle. And with this insulin resistance comes elevated blood glucose levels, and thus all the complications we typically see from diabetes. Okay, so now that I know what diabetes is, you may be wondering why I even care about it or why I'm talking about it. Well, I'd be willing to bet you a ton of money that you know someone who has type 2 diabetes. And if you don't, you just probably haven't talked to anybody because it's so prevalent in our society today. In fact, in 2015, it was estimated that in the world, 415 million people had some type of diabetes, with 90% of them having type 2 diabetes. On top of that, another 318 million have a preclinical state of impaired glucose. So overall, 700 million people have issues with their blood sugars. 700 million. That number is insane. And on top of that, it's estimated that the global cost of diabetes is about $800 billion, with a B, in healthcare expenditures. So even if you don't care at all about the physical problems, which you should, you know, there's still tons of people all over the world who care about it because it truly is causing a financial and healthcare burden on the entire planet. On top of the financial issues, there are tons and tons of very well-studied physical issues that are seen as well. Patients with diabetes have an increased risk of what we call macrovascular complications, meaning issues with the larger blood vessels, and things like coronary heart disease, ischemic strokes, deaths related to vascular disease, and all-cause mortality. 
On top of that, they also can suffer microvascular complications or issues with these smaller blood vessels that can lead to things like diabetic retinopathy and blindness, diabetic nephropathy or kidney disease, diabetic neuropathy or damage to your nerves, and things like erectile dysfunction. Pretty much every blood vessel in your body will be affected by diabetes, and there isn't a body system that's spared from any of its effects. I don't mean to get you worried or worked up, but once again, this is one of the most important things we can manage to help keep us healthy for the long run. Okay, so how do you diagnose diabetes? Well, there are multiple ways to diagnose this, but all of them require some sort of lab work. The main ways are looking at either a random or fasting glucose level, getting your hemoglobin A1C checked, or performing an oral glucose tolerance test. First, let's talk about fasting and random glucose levels. For a fasting glucose level, it's exactly what it sounds like. For this test, we'd have you check your glucose levels after an overnight fast. And if the lab value is greater than 126 milligrams per deciliter, then that would typically make the diagnosis of diabetes. This is cheap and simple, but it does rely on the fact that the patient doesn't eat it all before the test because it's definitely possible for someone to have a blood glucose greater than 126 if they just ate something and still not have diabetes. So for a random glucose, this just means that we randomly check your glucose and you don't have to be fasting. So this is commonly seen when we order other labs that include a glucose value. And then you might see an elevated number that would kind of get us worried that the patient might have diabetes. Specifically, if you have a random glucose above 200, then you can technically make the diagnosis, but realistically, you'll probably get some sort of confirmatory lab just to make sure, unless it's just an absurdly high number. We typically use 200 because few metabolically healthy individuals would have a glucose value over 200 even after eating anything, and so it gives us a quick and dirty way to potentially find diabetes in patients who are, you know, we weren't, maybe weren't even screening for. Next, let's talk about hemoglobin A1C, which is a test that measures the concentration of glycosylated hemoglobin or hemoglobin molecules with sugar attached to it in the bloodstream. Essentially, they just want to see how much sugar is stuck on the hemoglobin, which is a component of the red blood cells in your body. A value of 6.5% or greater will give you the diagnosis of diabetes. And the higher the number, the more poorly controlled the diabetes has, and you can infer that there was a higher concentration of sugar throughout the life of that red blood cell, which is about 90 days or so. So essentially what we're looking at for this test is how much sugar sticks to the hemoglobin on the red blood cells during its lifespan of about 90 days. This then also brings up one of the weaknesses of the A1C value, because if the red blood cells are you know, living longer, then naturally we'll have more sugar stuck on it over its lifespan, leading to an artificially higher A1C. On the other hand, if the red blood cells have a shorter lifespan due to things like anemia, then the A1C will be artificially low because there is not as much time for the glucose to get glycosylated on the hemoglobin. So because of the relationship to the red blood cells, we typically don't repeat this lab any more frequently than about three months to allow for the theoretical complete overturn of all the living red blood cells. You know, and that kind of gives us a better look at things. However, despite these possibilities, and you know, issues, the A1C is probably the most commonly used diabetic test in the office because it's so easy, quick, and cheap. So you can still get some good information from this test, but unfortunately this is only abnormal when you've had years of issues already so that you weren't even aware of it. So it's kind of a bit reactive in nature, but can still give us some good information about a snapshot in time. However, if we're looking for the most informative test, then the oral glucose tolerance test is probably your best option. In this test, you typically fast overnight and then your fasting glucose is checked in the morning. Next, you drink a super sugary drink with about 75 grams of glucose and then wait about two hours to check your blood sugars again. If the level is greater than 200 at two hours, then a diagnosis of diabetes can be made. Now, it's also worth mentioning that this is the test we typically do with pregnant patients, but that test is a little varied where they'll drink about 100 grams of glucose and then the labs are drawn at one hour and they come back for a separate test if the initial test was abnormal. So they're both the same concept, just slightly different from each population. This test is probably the most accurate and we can see how your body actually responds to carbohydrates, which can be really helpful. That being said, this is not ordered that often in most practices because it takes a long time to complete and most people don't wanna just sit in a lab for two hours. So it's important to work with your doctor to figure out what test works for you. 
And so now you might be asking me, Jordan, I've heard of diabetes before, but I've also heard of something called prediabetes. What is that? And essentially, prediabetes is just the precursor to diabetes, and it means you are on track to have full-blown diabetes if you don't change something. For an A1C, it's usually about 5.7 to 6.4%. For the fasting glucose, it's the range of 100 to 125. And for the oral glucose tolerance test, it's 140 to 199. However, it still means that your sugar processing mechanisms aren't functioning properly. So I usually diagnose this as a you know, kind of a come to Jesus moment to let patients know that if you don't change something, we're heading down the wrong path. In my clinical practice, I pretty much treat prediabetes as diabetes, as I don't think there's really much difference between the two. In fact, like the delineation of diabetes itself comes from studies and research, and it makes zero clinical difference to me if you have an A1C of 6.4 or 6.5. Regardless of those numbers, what it's telling me is that your body's not processing glucose appropriately, and we need to do something to fix that. So I want to attack prediabetes aggressively to prevent future problems. I also think it's worth mentioning continuous glucose monitors or CGMs for a moment, because you may have seen some people posting about these online. If you haven't heard about them or seen them online, I'm betting you just haven't known what to look for because it's getting a lot of press lately. These are devices that you stick to your skin using a small needle surrounded by some type of adhesive, and these will typically stay in one spot for seven to 14 days. And because they're under the skin, they can constantly read your blood sugars. Typically blood sugars are checked using a finger stick on a certain point in time during the day, but you can only do that so many times without getting super annoyed from all those sticks. So CGMs are a great way to get a ton of useful data in a much more convenient way. CGMs let us see real-time data, which let us kind of fill in the gaps from just a standard finger stick glucose level. And we can actually see how we respond to certain foods, lack of sleep, stress, and a whole bunch of other factors. With this information, we can then fine tune adjustments in our lifestyle or medical management of our blood sugars in a much more real-time approach and can be much more proactive with our treatments. However, currently these units are only by prescription and are rather expensive, but I'm very confident that they'll become much easier to obtain in the next few years. Finally, I think we should talk about what actually happens when you're diagnosed with diabetes. If you're diagnosed with type one diabetes, then you need to be seeing a physician. End of story. I'm sorry. However, the other stuff that I'll be talking about will still be helpful for you in terms of like a lifestyle perspective, but it will just be a bit more nuanced because you're going to have to manage your insulin on top of that. That being said, if you're diagnosed with type 2 diabetes, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news that this can be reversed. The bad news is that it's hard to do and it's going to take a lot of work. However, if someone tells you that you're going to have type 2 diabetes for life, most likely with a solid plan, motivation, the right resources and hard work, it can be reversed. I've typically never seen anybody reverse their diabetes with minor changes, as it usually takes pretty big lifestyle changes. That doesn't mean it's not possible with multiple small changes over time, but usually the cases I've seen are where people drastically change their diet or they start exercising and lose a bunch of weight. However, I don't want to make it sound like you should just give up if you don't think you can do that. I just want to help encourage you that we can use this as an opportunity of this diagnosis of diabetes to kind of kickstart and help reverse the ship and implement some healthy lifestyle habit changes. There's really no groundbreaking tips or tricks, but rather if you follow the steps we've talked about before in previous podcasts, then gradually you start seeing a change. However, you don't have to do this alone, and sometimes taking a medication can help get things under control in the short term. There are tons of medications that have been developed, and fortunately, a lot of these medications are really safe and really effective. In fact, some of the newer medications actually may help with weight loss in addition to helping blood sugars levels, so there's some really exciting options out there. Also, unlike patients with type 1 diabetes, insulin isn't necessary, although there are plenty of folks with type 2 diabetes who do use insulin because they are so profoundly insulin resistant. However, patients can still come off of insulin as well as long as they have some beta cells in the pancreas that can still make insulin. My goal as a physician is to try to use medication judiciously, and it's always my intent to try to get off medications for my patients if they want to, but sometimes that isn't feasible. Maybe you're trying your best, but it's just not working, or you have a super stressful time in your life and you're going through a lot. You aren't a failure if you use medication. I would much rather have you use medications to help control things rather than have you be uncontrolled but doing it the natural way. 
And maybe it'll just be a temporary situation. We don't know. But we know that the longer sugars aren't controlled, the more long-term consequences we tend to see. So just be honest with yourself. If there is no way you can make enough lifestyle changes at this point in your life, then maybe it's time to start a medication. Then work to wean off that if you want to later down the line. Regardless, I want to work with my patients in a team-like environment. And I hope you can do the same with your physician to help figure out the best path for you. Now, I know that some of you are thinking, and it's probably along the lines of Jordan, you're really bumming me out here, man. Do you have any good news for me? And the answer is yes. Yes, I actually do. When we talk about diabetes, if it's preventable, that's 100% a good news answer. The good news is that yes, this can be prevented. There are some studies showing that there is a potential genetic component to this, but it's definitely not a given that you're going to get diabetes, even if your family members did. But there does seem to be some sort of genetic component there. However, how much of that risk is genetic versus environmental? Who knows? And honestly, it doesn't matter because it pretty much comes down to lifestyle management for prevention. If you have a family history of it, then you might need to be a little bit more aggressive, but it's still the same general recommendations of maintaining a healthy body weight, eating a health promoting diet and getting plenty of physical activity. So pretty much if you follow the template I try to talk about, then we should be preventing diabetes already. So finally, there's some good news for you. Okay. That's probably enough sweet talk for the day. I get it. Sweet talk like sugar. Okay, well, moving on. If you're sticking with me even after that horrible pun, I just want to say thanks. I want to empower you to understand what you should be looking for to help control your health. And I hope this is you know, really helpful for you and this idea is a lot less foreign to you now. If you found this helpful, it would mean the world to me if you liked, commented, subscribed, or shared with a friend. Thanks so much for joining me today. Now get off the internet, go be active, and enjoy your life. We'll see you next time. Disclaimer, this podcast is for entertainment, education, and informational purposes only. The topics discussed should not solely be used to diagnose, treat, or prevent any condition. The information presented here was created with an evidence-based approach, but please keep in mind that the science is always changing, and at the time of listening to this, there may be some new data that makes this information incomplete or inaccurate. Always seek the advice of your personal physician or qualified healthcare provider for questions regarding any medical condition.